The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, so the first week we looked at this, uh, as we started First John, we, we, we just kind of gave an overview of every verse and in, in a verse out of every chapter, kind of kind of a passport, a portal into it. And then last week, we, we talked about the, the light proof. And, and the light proof was, was, a very, uh, was more of a general kind of a, a view of our lives, all right? And when I say our lives, I mean our. I, I'm, I'm, I'm processing this with you, you know? This is, I'm not speaking from on high like, this is how you should live because this is what I'm doing. This is like, I'm in this with you together, and so this is what I'm trying to process and figure out. And what I love about the scriptures and, 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 and history about followers of Jesus is that everybody in their time, in their culture, we're, we're, we're working out what it means to be a little Jesus or a Christ follower at their time. And so there's always going to be questions, there's always going to be struggles, there's always going to be ways to process that. And what you're not going to hear is a list of things of don't do these things. To me, that almost, almost seems like, um, you know, if you have a, you know, tuberculosis and the doctor just gives you cough medicine, nothing has happened of value. You've treated a symptom. And so uh, the illumination talk was more of an idea of, okay, what is your condition? Let's be honest, where are we as people? Whether you call yourself a follower or not, whether you're a person visiting, checking this out for the first time, who, who are you, where are you, in, in comparison to God? Because you, know, you can always find somebody you're better than here at this level, right? That's easy. Come on, look at this room. So, I mean, the... <laughs> I mean, all of us can always, you could always find somebody. And then, to, haven't you found that sometimes you have friends that, that you sometimes, or you had friendships or relationships just because you were a little bit stronger than they were? And then some situations you feel very weak, and those, those situations are those friends you avoided? All right, so the illumination talk was about, the illumination proof was about, let's just take an honest look, let's just put some light on our lives. Is there a dark area? Or is, is our life a pattern that the scripture would call walking in darkness? But this is different today. This is about passion, the passion proof. And passion are those kind of things that energize us and motivate us to certain actions. All right? So again, this is not a list of don't do these things because I don't think that's going to help anybody. In fact, here's what I'm convinced of. That no matter where you are in your spiritual journey in your life, you're not surprised that somebody would say, I don't think that's a good idea. I've never found somebody who would say, you know, uh, you mean stealing is wrong? I didn't know. And, and uh, oh, you know, murder is wrong and hating people is unhealthy, really? You know, they, it, it's never been someone was clueless about it. It's just been the fact that I'm not sure of any other way to live. As a matter of fact, since we're just us here, um, I can recall thinking how much I wanted to be set free or released from the violence and the temper and the anger that I had, but I honestly was a little bit hesitant for this one reason. I was, I was um, uncomfortable with the notion that if I didn't have that anymore, who would I be? Because that's all I knew, what I experienced from my father and what I was giving out to other people. So if I wasn't that guy, well, then who was I? Does that sound, is anybody, anybody feeling me there? Like if you give up something, if you give up this thing, or you're no longer that addict or no longer that person, then who are you? So uh, this, this is a talk about passion. And, and, and when I say passion, let's, let's think in terms of what is the energy that motivates you to certain actions? First John chapter 1, verse 8 says this. 
If we claim to be without sin or without darkness, uh, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins in darkness, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. And chapter 3, verse 4, everybody who sins, okay, this is not just people in church, out of church, everyone. Everyone who sins or commits acts of darkness breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. Now here's, that, well, here's one of those verses where if... if uh, Kind of an inside conversation. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus and you find yourself doing that same little goofy, horrible, little nasty thing over and over again, you go, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not connected to God. But that's not what that's saying. This is saying that there's, a, there's a, um, the root cause of the power that once was the only thing you could do now has been broken. So there's a change that, that has taken place. This is, not, this is not saying that you will never, ever commit something dumb again. Listen, any, everybody who's done something stupid and knew better, say, say I. I. Yeah, all right. The rest of you are incorrigible liars, and so I have, no, I have nothing for you. I don't know what to tell you any longer. Darkness obscures life, but committing dark acts, and here's when I want you to hear this, committing dark acts drains life. It just sucks it out of you. And the funny thing is, or it would be funny if it wasn't so true, the funny thing is is that we, um, I've done this, you've done this, the thing that looks so life-giving ends up killing us at the end or sucking life out of us. It's, um, it's like that first hit, you know, your first hit of meth. I mean, it's, it is incredible, you know, and then you're always chasing that high. I've heard. So there, there's those, um, and so, but, okay, so, so that begs the question, so why are we drawn to it? Why do you do, how many of you have you go back to that stupid thing, oh man, I shouldn't do this, or I shouldn't, whatever. No good will come of this. We do this with eating, right? You know, do you ever stop eating when you're full? Full. I stop eating when I embarrass myself. Then I consider it maybe slowing down, you know. And so we go into things knowing that it, no good will come out of it. Relationships. Clubs. I mean, there's things that we go into full, knowing full well yeah, this is probably not going to end so well. Why do we do it? I'll tell you why I do it. Because it feels good. I mean, why would, why, what else would you not do it? That, that's just a, the dumb question. It feels good. It always feels good. You, you, most of us don't think in terms of, oh, this is going to be horrible. Let me do it to myself. Even cutters find that a bit more comforting and life-giving than the life that they have, because at least I'm feeling something. I rem- and I remember that. It, I, I, something. You know? Um, so, and, and, and often, the, the, the worst, sometimes, acts of darkness have uh, it, what appears to be the most upfront pleasure. Right? Anybody who's in this room who struggled with pornography, you, you're feeling me in this respect. Anybody who struggled with some sort of... Um, um, you know, control substance, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, the one that has the most punch up front is the one that has the most grip on you later on. And I've noticed in my life and I've, in the lives of others, it seems like a, an addiction or a, 
let's say a habit that you just can't stop anymore always has the same pattern. First, it's curiosity. I wonder what happens if I do this. Then you do it and you realize, oh, the sky didn't strike me, you know, didn't strike me with lightning, the earth didn't open up and swallow me, you know. Oh, I guess this is okay. And then after a while, oh, you just do it just to, you know, just to even off, just to mellow out. You're a social whatever, right? Then after a while, it's not even pleasurable anymore. It's just like, you know, either out of boredom or out of frustration, you go back to that habit that used to sort of, you know, give you that punch, and it no longer does. And then you realize you can't stop. You want to, but you can't. So it's always that habit, curiosity, habit, addiction. Or, you know, think of it as an enslavement. In fact, here the scripture calls it. You become a slave to that thing that once was, you thought you were controlling, it's now controlling you. The thing that you thought you were once owning, it owns you. Now, let me, let me pull back a little bit again. If you're hearing some sort of dad talk about don't do naughty things, I, I, you're not. Because here's what I know about that. It's not going to help you if I gave, gave you guys a list of stuff. Hey, I think these are not helpful because I also know that it's going to be filtered through my experience. And I'm, I, I believe the scriptures are, are pretty clear on some actions that are unhealthy, but even that's not going to make a difference for you. It didn't for me. But I do know that if I was, um, if, you go get, if you go to a doctor to be medically examined, they say, hey, well, he starts going through the symptoms. You might look at this as maybe as the symptoms of your life. Where is your soul? To, to come to the agreement, which the scripture calls confession, that the passion that I have for life isn't life at all. It's actually death. I'm just existing and pretending to be alive. Um, speaking of things that look good up front and kind of have a nasty punch at the end, I, I recall many years ago when I first started working for AT&T, there was a Frosty Freeze. You guys remember those? No, it was a Dairy Queen. Same thing, I guess. At any rate, I was jonesing for a milkshake, chocolate. It was lunch. You know, I needed to fuel the machine. And uh, I, so I went downstairs to get my ch- chocolate shake and, you know, you know, it was already getting the water condensation because it was a hot day on the outside of it. And it was just so good, chocolate. Dairy Queen, how could it be wrong? The DQ. And uh, started sucking on the straw, and something went up the straw. Yeah, I know, no good to come out of the store either. I thought, I'm thinking, well, it's a hamburger joint as well, lettuce. Right? I saw the person making the, the, the shake, I figured it could be a fingernail. I, I wish it was that. And it, it, it felt like it was moving. Now I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Ow, I got a pain. Now if, uh, and so I thought, what the heck is that? And it crawled off my hand. So I thought, eh. <laughs> it's, it was already there, right? That, that, you know, getting rid of the shake's not going to solve it, right? Yeah. I'll finish the shake. How many of you are thinking, I will not eat breakfast this morning? I could, have, I could have done without that story. But you won't forget the metaphor. Sometimes it looks good up front, and it's ugly at the end. So everything starts, I think, with verse 8. Um, but here's the thing to me. Between verse 8 and verse 9 is that horror, that terror of recognizing I'm sick, I'm ill, I'm damaged, I'm broken, I'm lonely, I'm not 
the person that I think I'm going to be. I'm on the track that's not going to be helpful. So between verse 8 and 9 is really the, uh, that moment of realization that I'm not well. Because he starts off with, look, here's where it's going to begin. It's a confession, which is agreement, with God that you are in a place that's not good for you. Or you're being fueled by passions that are not healthy for you. But now, what do you do when you come to that realization? Oh, great. I'm sick, and now I know it. It's like when you go to the doctor, and, he, and you know, they have to give you the news, right? Hey, we, you know, your lungs are infected, and are full of phlegm, and you're, you're, you know, you're going to do this, that, and the other. Wow, doc, I'd like to have a second opinion. Okay, I think you're ugly as well. <laughs> Isn't it funny that most of us, we, we, we'll go to people to affirm what we want to know. Right? So what do you do when you go to the doctor, the supreme physician in the sky, and he says, no, no, let me tell you something. You're sick, you're dead already, and you're just waiting to be buried. Go on. Is there anything else? I mean, is there uh, therapies or prognosis? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm faithful and just to forgive you of all your crimes and restore life. See, but verse 8 is the, is the heavy lifting of this start. It, it's having to come to the agreement. Now, it's not just mentally ascending to, yes, I'm not a good person. It's actually experiencing and knowing and living. Oh, my goodness. I am not in good shape at all. And that's not easy for anyone to get to. So I feel you if you push back on this. But I'm going to suggest to you that, my friend, you are not going to move forward until you can get to the place where you can admit, before God, I'm, I'm not well and I need help. And by the way, who likes to feel weak? And that is the last thing I want to feel like. Weak. Or broken. Because it feels so weak. And in, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, let me, let me take you to another uh, passage here. Romans 1, 28. And uh, this is a, you know, this is a, if, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, uh, the book of Romans that Paul wrote is, is a mini condensation of the entire Bible. It's everything in one book, 16 chapters. But as Paul is describing the state of humanity, he says here in verse 28, uh, as he continues, he says, furthermore, so there's more stuff than you know, previous. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. And um, you know, depravity or, or being depraved has this notion of um, judgment and values being assessed. Like, you know, man, you're depraved. You're, you know, that's just depravity. But in many cases, I think sometimes it's just a person's maybe preferences in some cases, you know. Don't get me wrong, I think some things are just kind of sick and twisted. We all know that, right? No matter, I mean, no matter where your moral code lies, there's just some things like, okay, now that's wrong, <laughs> right? Even prisoners in prison and jails, you know, they, they will hurt a child molester, right? Because that's wrong, you know? But if you think of depravity from what the word comes from, is, is corrupted. So look, if what he's saying here is, look, if, if you're not gonna retain or process your life with, uh, with me in view, you're going to end up in a corrupted state of being. Now, let me bring corrupted into another example that might make more sense that we would maybe feel it better. It, that is, um, how many of you have had, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a PC, your laptop, something? You downloaded the virus, you did the, you did the email thing, right? And it began to corrupt something in your hard drive. 
so it's not working like it should, or maybe it works, everything works well, but when you open the Excel spreadsheets, it corrupts them, or it, your music programs, or whatever. So in some area, or maybe your entire hard drive is corrupted by the virus. This is what depravity would be. Depravity is saying that something was corrupted so it's no longer working like it should. It appears to work, it looks like it could work, you want it to work, you're praying that it will work. <laughs> but it doesn't work. Why? It's been corrupted. So you might think in terms of, of the scriptures and processing in, in the light and the illumination of God as the virus protection. Vision correction. Dismiss God, corruption. And so depraved thinking or corrupted thinking will always lead to destructive actions. That's just uh, how it is. But it goes right back to starting from verse 8 of John chapter 1. Verse, uh, chapter 1 is, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. See, if I'm not able to, or uh, willing to admit or can admit um, that I'm not well, I'm just not going to ever get well. And that's, what I don't, you know, you, you can think of this very simply or if somebody has uh, emotional or, or, or um, let's say mental issues and they're not, they're not willing to get help from a therapist or a doctor, are they ever going to get well? I guess it's possible, but chances are, are, are much slimmer, aren't they? So in the spiritual realm, this is, this is a very good metaphor. If I'm not willing to admit that there's something in my, in my spiritual life that's, that's twisted, corrupted, damaged, am I going to get well? No. And, and by the way, see, this is where the gospel becomes good news. The gospel is good news and bad news in one way. The gospel says... Um, you know, there, there, there are some things that are missing and damaged and broken. You're going to experience them and feel them in different ways. Maybe a sense of destiny or a sense of loneliness or a sense of a number of things. Questioning if there's anything worthwhile. Is there truth? Is there someone that will actually love me? You, know, you can experience your brokenness in many different ways. The good news is God says, I'm, I'm, I fit every single thing or damage or issue that you might have. I know that sometimes as followers of Jesus, we have this you know, notion that we've got to make people feel bad about themselves so that they, you know, they, and God forgives you. Listen, I, here's what I've experienced in most of my life. When you talk to people long enough, most people know something's missing, if they're honest. So the good news is, God says, I will be who you need me to be where you're experiencing the most damage. And the other part of it, it's maybe unsaid, but needs to be understood. And by the way, there's no one else coming for you. There is nobody out here but me. Now, um, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 for just a moment. Because uh, I, I think sometimes there's this sense that <clears throat> it really isn't this bad, is it? Well, okay, you know, Jeremiah was a prophet writing to the nation of Israel, people of God, people that God had uh, revealed and exposed himself more than any other nation, group of people, tribe. And so, you know, th this is, these people in the Middle East, uh, you know, a couple thousand plus years ago, were, were not experiencing this any differently. They were probably in denial about some issues in their life. And so in chapter 17, verse 9, as Jeremiah, God speaking through Jeremiah, says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? 
So let, let, me, let me put this in context. I'm willing to concede if you're not a, a follower of Jesus and you're just checking us out for the first couple of times or so. Well, I'm not even sure if this God stuff is true. Okay, that's fine. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to come from the context that it is true. So if it's true, here's what's being said. That the, the supreme being, the person that knows, the ultimate connector networker, the one that made everything, that person, the one who made us, knows us, beginning in the end, all the stories. He says, I, as I look at humanity, here's my estimation of you. Your heart is so sick and twisted, it's beyond cure. I'm God, I can't fix it. That's what's being said. This is God's evaluation of us. This is God's, you know, here's my diagnosis. Your heart's beyond cure. Take this prescription to the pharmacy and you'll know, see you another day. So what's the, what's the answer? What does he offer? He offers a transplant, a changed heart. Jeremiah will speak about this stony heart and a heart of flesh. So this is not, um, how, this is not God saying, here's how I want you to behave so you're better people and you don't embarrass me. You're beyond cure, there's something wrong, and until you're willing to at least come to the place where you say, yeah, you know, I think there is something missing. Awesome, you know what I can do? I'll give you a new heart. And see, th this is the other challenge I think sometimes when people push back on this, is that, well, I've been going to church now for nine months or a year, or whatever it might be, you know, I go to a small group and you know, blah, 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 I'm trying to get on volunteer staff, and I still get this problem and issues. Well, okay. If you were like me, when you came into the connection of God through Jesus Christ, you had a ton of negative momentum coming with you, right? How many of you ever, how many of you ever been driving a car? Remember when you were so broke, you couldn't even pay attention, and you drove that car, that car that was, <laughs> it was held together with, you know, scotch tape and gum, uh, chicken wire, a chicken, I mean, you know, it was just, uh, and you remember when the brakes went out when you were driving it? So you remember that sinking feeling when you pushed in for the brakes and there was, it just, the, the brake pedal, yeah, just glid, you know, slid down, right, because the, ma the master cylinder is gone and all that, whatever. Any rate, and then you know what you, you, know what you do, you think you're Fred Flintstone, right? What does Fred Flintstone do? You open the door, you try to put, you try to stop this multi-ton vehicle with your pata, like that's gonna, you think this is gonna replace all the brake systems that the car was built into, because you know, General Motors said, we could put brakes on this, but people have feet, so we don't, we don't need to. <laughs> okay, but this is how we act about our spiritual lives, and we're surprised. I've started to put the brakes on, why is it still moving? Well, you know, you've had a few years of practice, you know. And, and, and at times, here's what happens. I, you know, I know that there are those, you know, miraculous day, night, you know, big conversions. I get it. I met, I met a guy. I, I mean, I've seen it happen. Okay? But I can tell you honestly before, man and God, that was not my story. Mine was more of the trying to put the brakes on with the bata, you know. And it created so much negative momentum. Here's what I saw, that it was a gradual, in some cases, in, in other areas quick, stopping and then reverse and then beginning to gain momentum in another direction. See, I thought I was going forward. You know, I was in darkness, the passions were wrong. Actually going backwards and deteriorating. You've heard me say sometimes that, that God is an acquired taste. You know, right? 
It is. Some people get it like right away. That wasn't my story. Maybe it isn't for some of you. Go to Jeremiah chapter 724. Okay, so this is, um, this is a particular section where God is speaking through prophet Jeremiah, his spokesperson, and saying, hey, look, you know, you're, going to, you're practicing your religion, you're going to festivals, you're coming to temple, church, right? Get it? Great. But in the end, nothing's changing. Here's what's happening. Verse 24, uh, but they wouldn't listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward, not forward. And from the time your forefathers left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets, but they, speaking of the people, uh, wouldn't listen to me and they wouldn't pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their forefathers. Um, how many of you have found out that as you've gotten older that your parents weren't the complete idiots you thought that you were when you were a teenager? Yeah, all right, all right, just the two of us. Okay, so once again... And then as you get older, if you get married and have children, you begin to realize, oh my gosh, why didn't my parents kill me? Because as I want to, now I understand why tigers eat their young, you know, having children. Um, <clears throat> here's what happens. You know, you could have listened to your parents when you were a teenager and maybe saved yourself some grief. Or you just learn it as you get older, you realize, oh, they were right. And I'm going to follow this. But is that any different than how we do God? There is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certain of this, that none of you are confused about perhaps what life could be experienced. It's, it really becomes a matter of taking personal responsibility and beginning to put it into your life and practice. Look, yesterday I was with a group of people, um, a, a small group, it's mine. And here's what I know, that, um, y you know, you, you don't, um, how can I put this? Probably in English. I'm, I'm convinced of the power of three things. The power of prayer, the power of scripture, and the you know, power of God and all that, right? But the power of community. Where people actually know me. They actually love me. Even if I, if I never do anything with my life, if I step away from this role, this job, they would still love me. You know, they don't love me because, oh, you're the, you're the pastor. They just love me. I can be weak in front of these people. Um, so they know me, they love me, they pray for me, and they'll argue with me. And that's when I want them to treat me as a pastor, and they still argue, you know, I'm the pastor, I know better. No, you're wrong. Um, and that is such a powerful, healthy environment to be in. See, if, if you're in a small group where you attend and you go there, and really people don't really know you, I, I don't think that's any different than not going to a small group at all. You follow? So, uh, you know, you may not like the idea, like, oh, I've got to go to this small, small group. Honestly, you're doing yourself a favor. Especially if you're willing to become a little bit honest and transparent and, and maybe admit to one or two, whoever is the person you can trust, and, you know, I'm not doing so well right now. And help somebody, uh, have someone walk with you through the scriptures and processing what you're going through. It's extremely powerful. It's extremely useful. Everyone needs a place or an environment or a community where they are known, they are loved, and cared for, and prayed for. And even you can, um, and a place even where maybe you can even ask your most honest questions and challenge, I'm not sure I get this in the scriptures. But let's go to Romans uh, 6 as we get close to closing here. All right, Romans 6. Verse 8 says this. 
Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin, darkness, reign, rule, uh, override in your body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from life to death and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. Why? Because you're not under the law. You're under grace. Um, you know, if there's so much power and so much ability to overcome darkness, then why don't we do it? You know, why do we continue to commit or get involved in things that maybe even consciously we know that no good will come from this? I'm still, still going to do it. Um, I think a lot of it here is, is, is back, at, um, back in first aid of, of First John where there just isn't the agreement of coming to admit I'm not well in this area of my life or my overall trajectory, my overall pattern, the overall energy that's energizing my life, my motivation is just not in a healthy place. Uh, listen, anybody who has not been well and then gets well has to make certain different life choices. You know, a, a heart patient goes in, has had a valve change, probably is going to make some different life choices going forward to stay healthy. Correct? You know, someone that perhaps was, you know, you, were, uh, you wanted to either lose weight or gain weight, whatever it is, then to sustain that level of health wherever you're at, you're going to have to make different life choices. That's just how it is. We know that in the physical realm. But somehow in the spiritual realm, we forget that that's the same metaphor. And now, if you're hearing like, okay, that sounds like restrictions and lists and that kind of thing, I don't really feel, really feel free. Well, it, it may be an improper view of freedom that we have. Because freedom isn't the absence of restrictions. It's just choosing the correct ones or the right ones that cause us to grow and thrive. You know, I, I, I talked about this a few months back. It's almost like uh, when you're in love with somebody. Right? You know how love moderates behavior? It should moderate behavior, right? So here's a group of guys. They're all goofy and, you know, they're doing their guy thing. Girl walks by. Guy says, oh, I've got to get with that. Guy moves over. He's with that. His friends are thinking, oh, he's done. He's dead. He's no longer fun. Right? Whoosh, right? That's what they're thinking. Right? But what is this guy experiencing when he's with her? Heaven. Right? He's in love. It's all good. And so in some ways, I think the relationship with God, I guess you could put it in that same level. Maybe to somebody else it might seem like, oh my gosh, you used to be cool. Maybe. <laughs> but right now I'm in love. Um, I, I want to be very clear in this, this, in this passion proof that there is no freedom outside of the, outside of being owned by Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, you, you know, uh, try it. If you try to live differently, some of you have. If it's working for you, awesome, great. And I mean that seriously. If it's working for you, I mean, I, I have nothing to offer. When it stops working and you know it, Jesus Christ will still be waiting to give you a new heart. And in closing, then, let's think of this that, that, that this is the passion proof. You know, does what you believe 
what you think and see that gives you life actually give you life in your life? I mean, are, are you becoming the person that you really want to be? Or do you find that it seems like more and more you have feel drained? And I'll give you another way of thinking about this. You're not physically debilitated, but you find yourself, I just don't, I just don't feel alive. I mean, I feel I'm tired, I'm fatigued, I'm bored. Nothing seems to be that exciting. Everything seems to be the same thing. I'm going to suggest that whatever passion or energy you've plugged into is actually draining you of life. And the life that you can have is found completely and exclusively in God through Jesus Christ. So that's John's passion proof. Are you alive? Are you just existing? Hey, let me go ahead and dismiss and we'll bring up our special guest for announcements. Father, what I do thank you for is your kindness in speaking to us again and again, over and over, and how you call to us that you have life to offer and freedom that is beyond what we can experience, or beyond what we've actually known or have experienced. What I pray is that you help us to be courageous enough to believe you, and, and even if we don't really trust completely, that we still step into those moments of obeying what your scriptures say and applying it to our lives. Help us to be people that imitate the pattern and the lifestyle of Jesus, practice his teachings to experience your life and to be ignited and energized by a new passion, which is you. So I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.